0: The whole goal for us in in our world is really to become who God has made us to be. And that that is a possibility. Sometimes we'll look at life and we'll say, why don't we just just do whatever we want to do, be happy. Why can't I just be happy? I want my life to be like this. And why can't I just choose whatever I want and God be happy with that? Do I have to do things God's way? Well, there's a yes and no to it attached to that question. But at the same time, the question isn't about, do I have to do things God's way? The question should be, is there anything impeding my relationship with God that causes me to say, I choose not to do things God's way? Because I think for some of us, to do things God's way, it almost seems like now I'm confined, that I, I'm not going to have fun in life, or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to enjoy my life. I'm going to become like one of them, one of them religious fanatics, But really, it's the opposite. When you trust God with your life, you become that much freer to live the life that God promised you to live. In other words, you become the best version of you when you trust God with your life. Take yesterday, for example. How was that? That was just an unbelievable way for us to get, you know, to wake up and then to go through the day with all the questions. And what is is pretty interesting is today, the story that we're going to talk about is a story that will kind of tie into yesterday. And the story that we're going to look at is found in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter, at the ending of chapter 5, going into chapter 6. So you can take out your notes. When you came in, you are given your bulletin. There's some notes in there. Or the church app, you can take that out. Or your Bible, if you want to do that. But I'm going to read this story. And, and because we're in this series, Forward Together, we realize that in order for us to accomplish great things, we're not going to be able to do it alone. We're going to have to do this together, and not just together as with, you know, husband and wife or family, children and parents, but together with God. You know, at the beginning of this year, and we're still kind of in the beginning, these are some some life-changing decisions that we need to make. Like, Lord, am I going to be in this relationship with you? Am I going to live life together with you? And if so, what does that look like? How will I be able to go forward together with you? And when God says, I'm going to be with you, what happens in our life as human beings is we have to now make some crazy decisions and some distinct decisions that say, I have now made a decision to follow God. And along with that comes some responsibilities, even some consequences. I don't know about you, but there are times when I will make a decision in my life, and next thing I know, I've now separated myself from people, even from God, that I've put on, i put up walls and sometimes we have walls in our life that were based out of our own decision that we want to protect ourselves Uh, we want to we, we don't trust people anymore or someone hurt me so I put up a wall or it could be that I don't like the decisions I've made so to protect people I build up walls to keep their distance from me but nonetheless however you build a wall the wall is still there whether it's to keep people out or keep people in. There's there still a wall there. But we're going to talk about this story and, and take a look at this story and how God breaks down walls, that there are certain walls in our lives, in our families, that has caused us to have this rift, this separation, that God says, I want to break down that wall because in order for you to become the best version of you, you're going to have to do this together. And it's going to have to look like that. When my children were young, we used to uh, put building blocks together. And we would build building blocks, and, and they would make a wall. And the only reason why they built this nice structured wall is so that they could fly their, their hot wheels through it. I had boys, so that was their thing. They would build up these walls, and then they would break them down. My grandchildren do the same. They build up these walls, and then they get the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Rah! And then they tear it on the wall. That's the only reason why they built up the wall. Was for it to be torn down. But we build walls not to tear down. We build walls for various reasons. This group of people that we're gonna be looking at in Joshua chapter six, they built a wall around their city. And they built it so that they could be safe. And one of the people, uh, groups that they were afraid of, were the Israelites. That was the one nation they were afraid of. That is the reason why they built this wall. But watch how God brings an inconvenient instruction and some, some things to do that, from his perse- perspective, it was the best way. But from man's perspective, it would almost seem like, why, why would God tell me to do this? This doesn't even make sense. But it begins in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and it starts off like this. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, and Jericho is a city, Joshua was the next person after Moses, uh, he was the next in command. So when Moses passed away, Joshua became the leader and he brought God's people into the promised land, which is modern-day Israel. So when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? In other words, bro, you're going you're gonna to take out your sword and you're going to go for battle. You better let me know if you're on my side or on their side because if not, I'm going to wipe you out. So that's kind of the pigeon version, but that's kind of what happened. He's facing this guy, and he's saying, this is, this is battle. And Joshua, being a warrior, if he sees a guy with a drawn sword, he's not going to walk up to him and say, excuse me, um, what are you doing here? He's not going to ask him that. He wants to know what is, what is his intention. And are you for us or against us? Now watch this guy's answer. He said, neither. So even the answer doesn't make sense. Hey, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Nope. It's not a it's a it's a yes and no question. It's not a nope question. Are you for us or against us? Neither. Well, you gotta be on somebody's side. And then he continues. And he says, Neither. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. In other words, Joshua is saying, Whose side are you on? He says, Neither. I'm on God's side. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And then Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see... I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city. Now here's the instructions. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And the ark represented the presence of God. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, which is N-U-N, not N-O-N-E, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army. Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Well, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, carrying the, tr- the, the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, with the priest, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it to be devoted, are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. And that was earlier when they spied out the land. Rahab helped them. And the deal was, we're going to save your family. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted and the sound of, at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. So it, it starts off in a, in a way that, that, that Joshua has to make a decision that he's going into battle now. But he sees the angel of the Lord, and he says, Well, whose side are you on? And when he says this, and the angel of the Lord says, Neither. The real question, Joshua, you should be asking is, Not whose side I'm on, but whose side are you on? See, God gives us those questions to ask ourselves. Whose side are you on? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, it says, "But, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now listen very carefully. We all have walls that separate us. We all have those walls. And God says, I really want to break down those walls because you got to do this together. When you made a commitment to me, when you made a commitment with your spouse, these commitments, is, it's not just a, a, a thing just to say. These were things that you vowed by, and now there's a wall here. And I want to break down that wall. Now, wherever you are in life, wherever your, your situation has taken you, God wants to break down some walls. And walls were made to be strong, not fall. So we build these walls so that they protect us. Or if we gotten hurt or, or, or betrayed, or if someone put us down, we kind of guard our hearts and we put up a wall. But everyone has walls. But everyone is also eligible for God to break down some walls that cause us grief in life. So we're going to look at some areas that will help us. And the first thing is this is to decide whose side I'm on. You want to write that in? Number one, decide whose side I'm on. Because we're going to have to make a decision. Yesterday was a way for us to really think things through, wasn't it? I mean, when you got that warning, first of all, it's like, wait, am I reading this correctly? But, it, I mean, you could, crystal, you could see in a crystal clear way whose side you were on. That you were saying, Lord, I trust you. I am on your side. And then you had some people that said, what do I do? How am I going to do this? And some people took, not took advantage of it. They, find, they found it as an opportunity. And they said, well, do you know Jesus? <laughs> I, I want to know him now. It's, there's that clear distinction of where am I in my faith with God? Where do I go with this? And so for, for Joshua, he made a clear, distinct decision to show whose side he was on. Now, Jericho, being this formidable city, was set in a place that was strategic for the land that they were going to take over. So they couldn't just bypass this place. They had to take over. And so when they're getting ready to take over, they had to make the decision that we're going to do this God's way. Because the city, the way it's been built, 30 feet thick, 30 feet high, as the walls were, was impossible for a human being to batter their way through with a battering ram. And the wall was so thick, you had people living on the the wall that became their area to live. That's where Rahab the harlot was. And she lived there, but she was spared because she helped the Israelites. Well, you have this formidable uh, city, and you have the Israelites coming in, but they're not coming in the conventional way. As a siege would normally take place, that they would march around the city or surround the city and starve them to death, this city was formidable, so no one could go in or out it was it was It was difficult to conquer, and Jericho had to be conquered, but Joshua and the rest of the Israelites had to figure out how are we going to come into this city because it 's that formidable, so they had to make the decision that we are on god 's side Revelation chapter three verses fifteen and sixteen. It says it like this. Jesus speaks this. He says, "I know all the things you do. That you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were on that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth." He's saying it, there's no place for middle grounds. It's either you're on my side or not. You have to make that decision. And Jericho's king had every reason to believe that this city was safe and secure, that he, all he had to do is sit tight and, let the, and kind of wait out the Israelite army. But God gave Joshua a, such a unique plan that he would assure that you would be able to take over this fortified city. See, the ark represented the presence of God, and that's why the, the presence of God had to go first. And Israel knew, that, and Jericho came to know, that God was leading this military action against Jericho, not Joshua. God was in control. God himself was going to fight against the city. And this is the beginning of Joshua understanding that God is going to have his way. In fact, the Amorites that were living there, they were a detestable people, and they needed to be wiped out because of the things that they were doing. So Joshua said, whatever you're going to do, God, do it, and I'm going to trust you. Then finally, when everything fell, all Joshua needed to do was collect. He just had to receive. That's, that's God God won the battle. He won the battle. The victory belonged to him. And each man could simply charge straight in. They could go straight ahead. See, Israel, they actually, they, they possessed none of the, the kind of equipment necessary to get into a city like this. No battering rams, they had no dynamite, they didn't have no explosives. They could set up around the wall and then blow it up and then march in. They didn't have any of that. What do they have? A trumpet and some instructions. Now I'm gonna bring up Matthew Daikuma and he's gonna give us just a kind of a sound on what it sounded like. it's a ram's horn, and they had two clear, distinct sounds. One was the the one they marched around the city the first time. So we're going to blow that one, and then the second one was a longer one. So let's take a listen on kind of what it sounded like. No pressure, Matt. No pressure. So that first sound, this is seven trumpets blaring constantly for six days straight. Now imagine the enemies watching this going on. And then on the seventh day, this... Trumpet sound. Now, if you get an alert on your phone like yesterday, (laughs) that's what they were listening to, that same alert. That was their alarm, that. Ours was on our phone. And we still have sirens today that model after that. So thank you, Matthew, for doing that. Appreciate it. So what they were dealing with at that specific time, we were kind of dealing with yesterday. And so imagine the armies, not just the Israelite army, listening to this for six days, but the enemy. Now the enemy is in their formidable uh, city, and they're watching this take place, and they're saying, okay, this is the Israelite army. And they're afraid of the Israelite army. That's why they built the wall like that to keep the Israelites out. So here are the Israelites, and they're thinking, okay, these, these are the guys, man. These are the, these are the, 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 the armies of God, so th- we can't take them out, but, but we have this city to protect us. And so when they see the Israelite army coming, they're thinking, okay, here we go, game on. And they get their bow and arrows, they get their, they get their swords, their shields, they're ready for battle, and then here come the Israelite army with the trumpets. And then the, the army is thinking, what, do we shoot them? What do we do? Like, what? this is not even a threat. They're blowing trumpets. Yeah, yeah, but just watch. Just be careful. They might throw a grenade as they're distracting us. Just watch. So they're watching. And for six days, that's what they hear, trumpets. So by the sixth day, I'm sure they're thinking, we got this. What are they going to do? Like, like. They're going to sing us to death? What are they going to do? This is not even doing anything to us. And then on the seventh day, there's that long trumpet blast. Like imagine the, the city of Jericho thinking, wait a minute, that's different. That's different. And then on the seventh day, Joshua says, shout! And all the Portuguese were so happy. <laughs> like yes and they shouted imagine being quiet for six minutes six hours this is six days they can't speak a word for six solid days and they're walking around the city literally not being able to speak a word Joshua even gives them some clear instruction. He says, don't give a war cry, which is already startling enough for a a military army that Joshua is saying, okay, to the army, don't give the war cry. Wait, what? What? I had my speech ready. No, no, you can't give a war cry. I was going to get the battle sound ready. No, you can't give a war cry. But it was the best. I practiced all night long. No, no battle cry. Well, I had my speech. No, not even your speech. How I'm going to get the guys ready? not don't say a word so it's almost like oh wow so what do we do just be quiet how is that going to work see man tends to think god's way is the worst way we always try to think beyond how god is asking us to live and the war cry was not to be heard and the war cry was to intimidate as as well as to build morale but he also said, do not cause any of your voices to be heard, which is even stricter. That there is no talking. No talking. What do you mean? We, we can't talk to each other? Nope. But what if I have to tell my wife something? You can't even speak with her. I cannot talk to my wife. Nope. Can she talk to me? Nope. Shoots. <laughs> they didn't say that. And it's just joking. Come on. But he says, no, you, you can't even you can't say a single word. The third one, he said, is And do not cause or allow a word to proceed out of your mouth. In other words, he's saying, if you didn't hear the first instructions, this should capture your attention. Not a word should be said. Nothing should come out of your mouths. Not even murmuring or mumbling. Because how often, after God gives us instruction, do our doubts come in? And he says, I don't want you to say a word because think of this plan. March around the city six times and then on the seventh day, march around seven times or march around the city once every day for six days and then the seventh day seven times and then shout and the walls will fall down. It's Like, but you think that's going to work? Not going to work. I don't think it's going to work either. He said, no word should come out of your mouth. Nothing. See, Joshua, just by their obedience showed whose side they were on. That we're going to do this God's way. And I'm wondering, even yesterday, when yesterday happened, how many people could see a clear distinction of whose side we're on. Not in opposition to other people or our family or our friends, but as a believer, you're so secured in who you are in God that even days like that, although there'll be some fear, you trust God even still. That there's a clear distinction because God can do more in my life and my family sometimes through silence than we can through shouting. And God says for six days, you're going to be silent. Imagine that. Imagine, I'm going to give you a phrase because I think we hear this often. We know this, but we still try. And here's the phrase, you can't change anyone. You can't change anyone. You can't change your spouse. You can't change your children. But we try. We try. We try to change them. We get mad. We get upset because we're trying to change people. And so we, we do our very best. And if you're going through that right now in that season, it's a difficult season. You, we try to change our children. It's like, why don't you just listen to me? And we shout. We yell. But try this. Try this. Let's just say your child is whatever they're they're going through their teenage years, young adult years, whatever it is, and you're trying to change them, try just marching around them for six days. (laughs) Just walk around them and say, but you can't speak, just pray. Just pray to God. Just walk around them. Just walk. Do that one time, just one time the first day, and do that one time for six days. Imagine your child. First of all, they can Snapchat you like, look my motto. (laughs) But then then it's a thought with, what, what are they doing? Well, you're trusting in God that you're literally surrounding your children, children with prayer, your loved ones with prayer. So husbands, if you see your wife walking around you, she's not plotting, she's just praying. <laughs> just let her pray. But we, what, that's what they were doing. They were marching around the city. They were trusting God in his inconvenient way to do something that was phenomenal. And they made that decision because they knew they were on God's side. In James chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible tells us, but when you do ask him, when you ask God, Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as settled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. See, when, when Joshua made this decision, when he made that clear distinction of whose side he was on, he didn't waver. He said, I am going to be obedient to what you're saying, God. And the words, until I let you, When Joshua said, don't say a word until I let you know when to shout, that phrase, when he said that, I I will let you know, it kind of gave the Israelite armies the assurance that there will come a day where you will shout. There will come a day when there will be victory. And that's what God allows us to understand is, it may seem inconvenient right now, but there will be a day of victory. The question is, are you going to obey me and trust me and stay on my side? Or are you going to be here when, it's, when everything is good and then when everything is done, I'm going to move away? Well, what decision am I going to make? Am I going to trust in you? Am I going to make that decision? And when Joshua made that decision, did I just skip number two? Okay, I did. Um, so let's go back a little bit. Write this in, silence my doubts. I was like, where am I? So silence my doubts, that's the second thing, which brings us to where we are today. Because when you do doubt, God is saying, if I give you an instruction and you doubt me, it doesn't work that way. Because when you doubt me, then how will I be able to continue on to move forward with you if at this point you doubt me? I still had these other things in line for you. But the moment you doubt, it's like you, you, you have now taken another road that your doubts will take you towards. But he says, if you silence your doubts, which is why he told the Israelites, don't say a single word. If you silence your doubts, then I can speak. I can do my part. Because how often our doubts sound louder than, than God's voice. And our doubts will come in and we'll keep playing it over and over. He says, don't waver. Once you ask me and I give you wisdom, don't doubt me. I am going to do what I wanted to do in the first place. And you've got to trust me, not doubt me. Mark chapter 23, excuse me, 9, verse 23, there's there's a story of a demon-possessed boy whose father was trying to give him help and trying to help him. And so he asked, the father asked the disciples to pray for his son, and can you help my son? Can you heal him? Can you do something? Because he's like possessed. He foams at the mouth, falls on the ground, and he hurts himself. Can you do something? So the disciples try and help, and they couldn't do anything. And then Jesus shows up, and the father's like, okay, Jesus is here. It's like the disciples are like, okay, we couldn't do this, so man, we're we're not there yet. And Jesus shows up. And the man comes to Jesus, and he says, can you heal my son? And he explained to Jesus what was happening. And he says, but only if you can. He says, can you help my son? And Jesus responds, in verse 23, he says, well, what do you mean, if I can? Now, my humanity would probably respond in this way. If I had, like, if he came up to me and said, can you heal my son? This is what is happening. But I had the powers that Jesus had. I would be thinking, if I can. by I never just see and walk on water. If I can, I just cause that blind man to see. If I can, that guy was dead. I brought him to life. If I, if I can, if I can, if I can, if I, Peter, he's asking me if I can do this, if I can. Now, that's my sarcastic humanity. But not Jesus. He was like, if I can. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. Anything is possible if a person believes. Then the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, we can only doubt what we already believe. We can only doubt What we already believe. You cannot doubt something you don't believe. An atheist does not doubt God. He can't. She can't. Because they don't even believe in God. You can only doubt something you truly believe in. But this guy was kind of like on that fence in the middle. He said, I do believe, but there's an unbelief side of me. Like, it didn't help when your disciples didn't heal my boy. Because they're praying for him. In the name of Jesus, do this, do this. Demons out and doing all this. And it's like, "Is is he healed? He's not healed. He's still foaming at the mouth. Sounds like our kids. He's still foaming at his mouth, still hurting himself, still hurting herself. It's like the dad is saying, is there any other way? Yeah, Jesus. Jesus can. Well, I believe, but help me with my unbelief because I'm doubting right now. Is this even possible? That's why Jesus said, oh, anything is possible, but you've got to believe. You cannot be double-minded. You've got to be able to silence whatever doubt it is because my promise is just around the corner. And it's usually said the moment I give up on God is the moment the devil celebrates because you're right around the corner from receiving the promise. But we got to silence the doubts, receive our marching orders from God. And then the last thing is to go forward together. Go forward together. Think about the information that. God gave to Joshua, that he gave to the army, and the rest of the Israelites. There was no new information that came in for six days, even for the seventh day. So you better have listened from the very beginning, that no word should proceed out of your mouth. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to march around the city one time every day for six days, and then the seventh day. So you better be paying attention at that point, because there is no new information that's coming in. God's command was consistent for the first six days. And so was Israel's obedience. Are we able to go forward together with God, being consistent with him, with the instructions that he has given to us? Because there will be instructions where God will give to us in what he's looking for that may seem inconvenient and that may not make sense. We don't see God's perspective Before he breaks down the walls of separation, breaks down the walls of pride or our disobedience, or even the promises that are on the other side of the wall, he says, I want to break down this wall because the promises are on the other side. That the walls that fell that day in Jericho, the walls fell down flat. In other words, the the phrase is used in the context of the wall fell upon itself. Walls don't fall upon itself. Unless it's a a controlled demo. You know, like when we see the buildings, when they have to do a demo, they put explosives to control the demolition so that it falls down on itself. That's what happened with this wall. It fell down on itself in such a convenient way that the Israelite army could march straight in. They didn't have to think, hey, is there there a breach on the other side? Can we go in? Is there any opening on that side? Nope, the walls fell down flat. It just crumbled. And they could walk straight in. See, God's inconvenient ways end up being convenient for us. It may be inconvenient in the way it sounds but it's convenient for us. That the very walls that were used to separate us from other people, to separate us from family, separate us in in whatever way, even at work with people, whatever way, that very same wall God may use to bring him in. That the very conflict that we have, the wall that is built, that when God crumbles it will be the very wall that will be used for God to come in. Because how often our wars and battles make us stronger in the Lord when we're together with him. That's what makes us strong. And when Joshua said, shout, the victory had already been won. That's why he could say, he said, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He didn't say, shout, so that the the reverberation from your voice and the molecules in the wall, as you shout, is going to break down the molecules in the wall. He didn't say shout so that the, the, the armies on the inside can be afraid and you're going to shout so loud that they're going to be scared of you and then they're going to they're be defeated, they're going to run for their lives. No, he said shout for the Lord has given you the city. Their shout wasn't in defeat or the battle itself. The shout was in victory because God had already won the battle. The battle was won long before Joshua and the Israelites were silent. See, God determines the victory. We determine if we'll get there. The victory has already been won, but God said it's your choice if you're going to make it there. How do we get there? Be obedient. Be consistent with what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to be consistent. Your marriage is not going good? Be consistent. Be consistent with who you are. You love your wife? Yes, I do. Then are you consistent with date nights? Oh, I miss a couple. Then get back on track. Are you consistent with your family time? Oh, yeah, but I get busy. Get back on track. Are you consistent with telling your loved ones you love them? Your wife, she's beautiful. Are you consistent with that? Or your husband, oh, you buff today. No, my belly big, but it's buff. (laughs) You get one nice ab. Whatever it is, are we consistent in, in who we are? Are we consistent in our time with the Lord? Are we consistent with even reading the Bible? You know, first, first day of the new year, I can't tell you how many of us, we say, I'm going to be in the Word of God every single day. And now it's, ah. Yesterday, everyone, oh, what says in the Bible? Missiles, 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 missiles. Anything about missiles, end of the world, revelation, revelation. The dragon and the lamb, I remember reading. and it's and, But then, oh false, oh, false alarm. Oh, honey, put this on the shelf. It's like, we're done. And, and that's it. That's, that's, that's the principle we live by in life where we only, we only are consistent for that short time when things need to be consistent. And then when we get comfortable, we let things slide. We let things go by the wayside. And then when things start to fall apart, we're like, God, how, how do we do this? And he's saying, you got to be consistent. Be consistent in your obedience with me because you're going to reach the victory. But if you're not consistent in obedience to me, then... Still, the victory is still there, but where are you? You're somewhere else. Be victorious in the Lord. Be consistent with Him. Be consistent with each other. And you know you're consistent when you keep doing what you know you should do, even when nothing changes. Even when you don't see the results. Because for some of us, we, we change so that they change. It's like, Lord, I'm changing, but they're not changing. Are you consistent? I'm consistent. I'm consistent. I'm not saying a word, okay? Then don't worry about that. And then we go day after day, but they're not changing. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you consistent, even when nothing changes? Because once I become inconsistent, that which should have changed changes for the worse, not for the better, for the victory. Because we want God to change everything and everyone else. And he's saying, the war is not about them. The war is within. This is who I'm trying to change. But I got to be consistent with him. You know that the the interesting thing about this, this battle was that they marched around for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times, blew the trumpet, and the walls fell down flat. In victory, they were able to celebrate. Did you know that seven is represented in the Bible as completion? Because God created for six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So for these guys, God's battle plan was already laid out. And the walls that have been built in our lives, God still has a plan laid out for those walls to come tumbling down That kept our marriages from coming together, our families to become stronger. He said, I can break down those walls, but you're going to have to allow my spirit to come in and be consistent with me and go forward together with me. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, God is saying, yeah, two is great, but you include me in it, cannot be broken. You do this together with me, and I'll show you how you can move forward together. That when the walls fall down flat, you'll be able to march straight in and the enemy can do nothing at that point. Let God break down those walls and let's cheer him on in victory. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's close our Bibles, put away our notes. We're going to pray together. And I especially want to pray for uh, for those that you may not have a relationship with Jesus. You're you're maybe searching or you're looking for something and, and maybe you've been struggling with doubt or certain things that maybe came into your life and you're saying, I don't know how I can trust God with my life because then where, where do I go from there? What if certain things happen? I would say this, silence your doubts for now. Silence your doubts. And, and just go forward with God together, with Him. That you're going to make a clear distinction whose side you're on. You're going to say, God... Yes, I'm having a hard time, but I'm going to be on your side. And let him know that you're making that decision. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come to you. And, and as we pray today, there are certain things that are happening in our lives, certain circumstances that may have come up, and even relationships that are not at its very best. So, Lord, I, today we, we just want to come before you, to make a clear distinction on whose side we're on. And that side, Lord, is your side. We want to be on your side. There may be some of you this morning, and you're saying, I want Jesus in my heart. I just don't know what to do. I I want to be assured of heaven. I want to be assured of being, being able to go home to God when my life is finished here on this earth. But I don't know how. Well, I'm going to say a prayer with you. And in this prayer, which is a prayer of salvation... You're giving Jesus your heart. And if that's you and you're saying, I, I want that, I want to pray that prayer, again, then can you just lift the hand real briefly and I'll pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything. And you're just acknowledging to your flesh that your spirit is winning right now. That you're saying, I want Jesus in my life. Okay, good. God sees you right here. Yeah, God sees you right there. Right here. God sees you right there. Yeah, right here, right there. Back there, right here. God sees you. Yep, back there. Definitely. Okay there, right here. God sees you back there, all of you back there. God sees you too. Yeah, God sees you right here. Yeah, God sees the both of you back there, right here. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. You can put your hands down. As we pray this prayer, and although I'll be saying the words, you just include your heart. And even for those of us who have said this prayer before, it's such a reminder how thankful we can be because we have a God- Like ours. Let's pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins, wash me clean, and make me brand new. I believe in you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising from the grave to give me a future and a hope. Break down the walls that have separated me. From you and from others, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Can we just thank the Lord for all these who said yes to him? That is the best decision you'll ever make. Now with that decision comes a a new life in Christ, and all things are made new, the Bible says. So what do you do with this new life? You stay close to Jesus.